Hi, I'm Scott Brown, and this is Lessons I Learned in Law, a podcast brought to you by Harriet Brown In-House Legal Recruitment. We're specialists in placing lawyers in um, fulfilling careers in-house. On each episode, I'm fortunate to be joined by a leading legal professional as they share their top three lessons that they've learned during their career so far. We hope that these give you an insight in the direction that you could take in your career and you finish each episode feeling inspired and with a a refound love for what lawyers can achieve. My guest today is Johnny Parker. Welcome to Lessons I Learned in Law, Johnny. Thank you for inviting me and having me on, Scott. Thanks for joining me today. A brief overview, Johnny trained at international law firm Taylor Wessing before he moved in-house to technology startup What Three Words. He's also, which I'm very excited about learning a bit more about, he's co-founder of a challenger beer brand called Yabba, which he launched in May 2021. So for a number of reasons, I'm uh, very excited. I'm disappointed that it's a bit too early in the day to be having a, um, this chat over a cold beer, but we'll jump in. Johnny, if you don't mind, um, if you could kick off with lesson one, please. So my first lesson is the right time in sort of parenthesis might not be the right time for you. This was something that sort of at a junior stage in my career has come up a few times. And I think it can be a bit, a bit overwhelming almost. If I was just sort of dive straight into it, I think traditionally, there's a very traditional route into law. So you go to university, you study, you apply for your training contract. In your second year, ideally, you go straight into law school after graduating. And then from there, it's sort of all laid out for you in nice sort of incremental blocks of uh, increasing work. I don't want to sort of tarnish that because I think that does work very well for some people and has worked for, for years. But I think it also alienates a lot of people. So if you either can't afford or choose not to go to university, or if you don't get a training contract offer when you would sort of expect to, it can leave you feeling a bit lost. So I think what I would have wanted to have been told at that time was if you either don't go to university or you don't get a training contract lined up for that exact time, it's not the end of the world, really. Yeah, I think it's great advice and something that you're always... Um through stages of your career looking at other people like I, I don't know if you found that within the studying law it's a ve- it is a very much that conveyor belt that you're you're speaking about and the next step and the next step and the next step when did you feel comfortable or has there been times where you haven't gone along with the the flow yeah I, I guess I, I started on quite a traditional route so I sort of went and studied law at Exeter and then I remember sort of partly through my second year everyone started applying for training contracts and I felt like I hadn't really figured out what kind of I knew I wanted to go into law and I knew I was going to follow the training contract route but I hadn't figured out what kind of firm I wanted to be at or what was sort of interest and what where I'd work well Mm -hmm. so I I basically took a year to think about that and I started applying in my third year as well instead sorry and I think at that time when you're applying it says sort of are there any gaps in your whatever time so far and if so can you explain them and I was already thinking from that oh god have I missed the the year now the reason for why I did that as well as wanted to think it through was I wanted to sort of take some time out after university and sort of do some paralegaling to get some practical experience as opposed to just studying but also sort of travel and going experience all these different cultures and um, kind of just figure out where I I thought I'd work best and sort of back up a, a bit of those interest with some practical experience so 
that worked re really well for me because when it actually came around to applying a year later, I think I did better in the training contract process than I would have done. And when I came around to actually starting the training contract, I'd had like six to nine months working in a law firm. And it also all of these sort of experiences that shape you from sort of a personal development perspective as well, like all the traveling and meeting new people. Yeah, absolutely. Which which now are like you look back on it and you don't have that many opportunities during your post university life to to take those pauses and get those experiences and they're so valuable, like you said, in terms of the other skills. So where did you get travelling to after uni? I went to Indonesia. I'm a big sort of surfer is my my main interest. So nice. I kind of planned the whole itinerary based around that. So I was in Indonesia for a while, I was in Sri Lanka, um, lived in Australia for a little bit. But basically sort of worked, was fortunate enough to get some paralegaling work beforehand whilst living at home to, to sort of fund all of that and then worked in a bit on the on when I was living in Australia as well. And just sort of, although that is still quite a traditional route, the sort of university and then the, the gap year and so on, I think it just kind of opened my eyes a bit to there are different routes into law mm -hmm. if you haven't gone mm -hmm. to university for example there was paralegals who i was working with who were going through the sort of internal qualification process there and being made up to lawyers there was sort of apprentices that were coming in straight from school and it, it sort of opened my eyes to hey you don't have to have gone to university you don't have to have got a training contract in your second year at a top law firm that's hard enough to do um in the first place there are sort of other other opportunities available to you yeah and do you think like looking back on that you're sort of you go into when you're starting your training contract a bit more with your eyes open as to what what it is and perhaps i guess more solidified and that's that's where you want to go in your career i think so I've, i think i'd kind of thought through a bit more about these are the kind of departments that would really help me I'd, I'd also just had the opportunity to meet people during that time paralegaling who were, were kind of mentors for me as well one of which in particular helped me a lot when i was sort of going through the training contract process and saying, oh, these are the seats I'm thinking about doing. Do you think it, it, I would value from doing a more sort of broad seat and things like that? People who are sort of on your side and maybe external from where you're currently working at the time who can lend that sort of independent, impartial mm -hmm. advice. Um, so yeah, it, de it definitely helped me. I guess the second timing point, which was slightly unconventional, was when I qualified at Taylor Wessing, I, I did one year and then I moved into an in-house role which is where I am now and I remember having a similar thought process at the time I remember thinking oh everything I've read says sort of two years minimum three years ideally private practice am I going too early what have I what if I've made the wrong move and <laughs> can't come back <laughs> and it's it's scary at that time and I remember I spoke to an ex-partner about it and said do you think look i think it's the right company i've i've made sure there's enough sort of personal development and education around me and people who can support me but what if it isn't the right time and so on and i got that sort of age-old piece of advice of well when the when the bus comes if you're certain it's the right bus even if the timing's not right for you sometimes you just have to get on it and it it, it sounds very cliche but it, it really worked out for me and now sort of 10 months into that I've got my feet under the desk a bit more it's um it's just been a really good decision for me personally great advice from that partner at what point did you think I'm going to be an in-house lawyer or I'm going to make that move at some point in time I think the kind of person I am I'm quite hyperactive not the longest attention span so I think the <laughs> the specialist route 
of becoming sort of a really specialist private practice lawyer was never massively going to be my path. I was interested in the the in-house opportunities and I, and I did a secondment during my training contract at Amazon, which was right, it was 2020 March, so it was literally pandemic hit, one week in their lovely Liverpool Street offices and then the rest of the time remote. But that kind of solidified that, yeah, I, I'd like to go work in-house. I think the other thing it solidified was I was more interested in the startup side of things. I wanted to go somewhere where it felt like I was really close to the detail on all of these different things. Could meet everyone, could make a practical difference. But I think the balance there was, I don't want to go somewhere this early in my career where I'm the only lawyer or where there's not really an established legal function because I wouldn't have, in my eyes, enough experience to just build that outright. Um, I still need to like learn the role of a, a lot of this year has been learning the role of an in-house lawyer versus a private practice lawyer as opposed to necessarily mm -hmm. the technical skills training yeah good surfing then so how, how often do you get surfing you live in central london how often, <laughs> uh, how, how often do you get do you get surfing there's not a lot of surfing in brixton you're right um <laughs> but the i sort of a lot of my holidays a lot of my travel get sort of pushed that way um we got a great perk at what three words which is we have six weeks a year where you can go and work remotely as long as the sort of time zones sort of work with with what you're doing so um i'm not convinced i could go over to like australia again for example but south africa some similar time so yeah. um so i pretty much use all of that to go and work and live in places where there's sort of a good surf scene and a bit of a different working environment so i've been in ireland for a West Coast Island for three or four weeks this year and down in Cornwall. Maybe I'll be a bit more into into Europe or a bit farther further flung next year, but I wanted to sort of be close to home this time in case it all went wrong. Yeah, get that cold water training as well. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> Lesson two, could you share that with me please? Yeah, I guess it's kind of linked. It's appreciate the value of your passions and your outside interests, um, both in terms of how they can make you better as a lawyer, but also as a person and sort of colleague to people. So your outside interests being surfing? Yeah. And other other interests outside of that? I, f I think, yeah, there's that sort of surface level interest in things like surfing and just got really into triathlons and the sort of physical and the mental well-being side of things i guess a big one for me in this area is yabba so one of my sort of outside interests like you said earlier on was i run a beer startup company with one of my friends from university and i think it's a bit unconventional in law to be running a sort of revenue generating business like that alongside. I, I, I came across quite a few lawyers who were doing sort of volunteering or were doing mentoring and things like that. But running a business at the same time, I didn't encounter that many lawyers that were doing that. Um, and I think as well as sort of the enjoyment of it, it's a big creative outlet for me, like the brand and the, the direction and the visual identity is a big um, creative outlet. But just experience running a startup and those challenges and how hard it is have definitely made me a lot better and a lot able to understand and connect with people across what three words so much more. There's so many similarities of like when we started out with Yabba, one of our big things was, although there's going to be a lot of learning on the job and figuring out whilst we're doing it, we want to sort of 
we want to build everything with a sort of scalable mentality. So it's, it's kind of the opposite of kind of fake it till you make it. It's kind of like over bake it until you make it. <laughs> so right. early on, so like the fulfillment process. So when we just started out, a lot of people started businesses, they're sort of shipping things out of their garage and they're sort of constantly, we decided that we were going to pay a bit more money and have a like third party fulfillment providers. That made a big difference because it meant early on when people were ordering and they were receiving orders and so on, it was a really smooth professional experience. And I think that influences how people interact with your brand and they see your brand. Um, it becomes way more than just this, oh, my friends set this up. It's a completely independent offering that people who don't know you, for example, can go and feel like they're ordering from a proper beer company. And that's something very similar here. So at What Three Words, like all of the things that we work on is like, as well as the, oh, what does this contract mean? How can we change these templates? It's how can we improve these processes so less people are having to do manual work going down the line? How can we make this more efficient? And that's what I'm learning as sort of a quite a big part of our role is how can we empower the business to take a lot of the legal actions themselves while still streamlining those sort of risks to us where needed. That six months at Amazon must have been good for the insights into the logistics and fulfillment piece. Yeah, it is. It is. The friend the friend <laughs> I do it with is kind of more into that side of things. He's a um like um a consultant basically so he does a lot of like route to market and sort of transformation and other things that i don't understand as well so we sort of complement <laughs> complement each other well um yeah but it's there's definitely been a, a lot of learnings in there which mean that i can now understand for example aside from what their legal challenges are but just what people in like marketing for example or growth would be doing on a day-to-day and what, what are their sort of main activities so that then we have context when we're working with them as a lawyer nice what was inspiration behind that then in getting into and in, in launching that beer brand so like i say we're friends from university and we when we were both living in australia um after university we were sort of doing quite a lot of matt who i do it with was playing a lot of sport i was doing a lot of surfing and running and we were living quite active lifestyles and i think australia largely because of the weather but has a really active lifestyle generally on those coastal towns um, and cities so a lot of people the way that they were consuming sort of alcohol matches that so you have a lot of those sort of hard seltzers and a lower calorie sparkling water with alcohol in it you have a lot of those sort of lighter beers that don't bog people down as much and it's, it just paired with our lifestyles well so then when we came back to england there was only a couple mainstream offerings like your bud lights for example and we personally didn't enjoy drinking those we sort of did a bit of market research, asked a load of people in some surveys, and that was sort of confirmed that other people didn't, and they felt the same. And then we just kept getting green light after green light. And before we knew it, we were sort of contacting breweries and making our sort of first batch and building the brand. And, and it, it all kind of happened rather sort of accidentally from a kind of like a stubborn consumer mindset of like, we can't buy the beers that we want. Yeah, yeah. Beers, so we're just <laughs> going to make it ourselves. Cool. That's the best way. Uh, that's good market research. <laughs> What's been the biggest challenge in that since its launch? Um, I think the timing's hard. I think we we launched out of the pandemic, and I think that was one of the silver linings for us was we had the time and we had the sort of savings from that to be able to do it. Um, I think otherwise people might not have had as much sort of opportunity to balancing sort of social lives or other responsibilities with work and being in office a lot. 
and also just the, generally the last few years have been obviously so hard on the hospitality industry. So we see price increases, we see stockists going out of business. So it's it's kind of managing all of that and learning about that industry because neither of us have a background in beer. So it's set up really well from a company perspective <laughs> and finance and legal. We've got the trademarks, we've got the companies. <laughs> but um, it was, yeah, learning all of getting that beer experience and sort of speaking to as many people as we can to learn that and knowing where we yeah. had sort of limitations ourselves how do you balance it with work how do you both with with full-time jobs yeah it was i mean that was one of the reasons for moving slightly earlier as well was a sort of freeing up a bit of time to do that but generally i'm like i say i'm quite sort of shorter attention span so i do i do well with that variety of having now i'm exercising now i'm doing this now i'm doing work and i'm i'm quite sort of a extroverted person so that i kind of recharge during those times i need a little bit less downtime than than others might which helps i think a lot of people from the outside look at it and think wow that's such a great thing is that it is a massive commitment we do spend a lot of time doing it and it's taken years to get to we worked on it for pretty much a year and a half before it even launched before we made our first beer don't underestimate the time that needs to go in especially early on We'll move on to lesson three. Yeah, lesson three. This is one from my time on comment at Amazon that's really stuck with me, which is don't get bogged down in the finishing touches. Uh-huh. Um, this is one that's quite sort of specific to me, but I think will be applicable to, to other people as well. So the risk profile is obviously different for every business and everywhere where you are. I think law, at least the people I've encountered, it suits quite a lot of perfectionist type people, the real attention to detail, the real sort of 100% job, dot the, dot the I's, cross the T's, it's, it's, it's like classic legal phrases. But that's me. I, I, I have to get everything really, really perfect. When I was at Amazon, that was the first time that I'd experienced a real sort of opposite to that. So they have this real mentality there of speed has a real monetary value. And the idea was if you get a certain work stream to 85, 90%, that final 10% or 15% of work takes a disproportionate amount of time compared to the rest of the actual task. And that can, that can just add quite a lot of lag to the process, which could, when your time could otherwise be spent doing other things, which, which might have sort of more risk to the business or just generally ticking through your to-do list. Yeah. It's a big one that, big one that stuck with me because I was so bad at that. And I found when I changed my mentality on it, although it's a bit sort of, scary at first i found it made me so much more efficient and i think it i think it also just reflects well on you particularly as an in-house lawyer i think about what of what do people compliment the legal team at what three words when i was coming into it they were saying they're pragmatic they're fast they're responsive but they they sort of listen to us and, and they're the kind of people i want to work with a lot of those are quite soft skill based arguably and a bit less kind of oh i love their real expertise on Chinese data protection, um, which they need, <laughs> yeah. they, need, they need as well, but it might not yeah. be as an apparent love for them. So it's it's played a big role for me. Yeah. So they need to know you've got it. You've got it covered, but you're enabling them to meet the business needs right and um, get the get the commercial context. It sounds like um, I've heard I've heard someone I've heard someone I can't remember who it was at Amazon actually or ex Amazon that said don't let. One of the, I don't know if it was their phrase or if it was their own personal phrase, but it was don't let perfect get in the way of done. 
um like just getting something getting something done um and moving moving on um yeah i like that was that sort of drilled in at amazon or is it how does i'm always interested in like culture and like values like that like how's it how does it weave in to someone coming in externally for a secondment how is it communicated to you yeah that was that was one of the biggest things uh, that was one of their biggest sort of legal values i guess you've got the company values which are separate from what they're looking for from the legal team but it's kind of enshrined in a lot of the culture there so there's a lot less sort of meetings unless something really requires the meetings there's a lot of quick short emails i remember being told early on don't be offended by anyone's sort of blunt tone it's just people being straight to their the fact and it's one of those things it's is i found it massively applicable to running gabra as well because when something's your own and it's your own business you want to do everything perfectly and there's that moment of when is good enough to push out into the world and i found that me and matt were both over engineering and sort of micromanaging and it was taking up so much time um but it's that kind of trust in your experience of knowing when done is and knowing that done actually is like you say of a good enough standard as well you shouldn't just be willy-nilly sending everything out yeah yeah and that's where the, the private practice or like legal training uh, education comes in right you're constantly redlined um in your your drafts and iterations of drafts etc to get it perfect and that's why someone's paying taylor wessing or whichever law firm it might be the uh, the money that they pay them for reviews of contracts but but yeah it's the i guess meeting the commercial objectives is great I've been asking everyone on the podcast in this series what lesson that they've learned in in law or elsewhere uh, in their career or life that they they maybe wish that they hadn't learned looking back on it in hindsight. Um, I think a big big one for me uh, is probably on that kind of well-being space is know when you've not given yourself enough support to be able to help other people. So if you're constantly trying to sort of work really, really hard around the clock and trying to sort of, if you're you're an ambitious person, you're trying to achieve certain things. If you haven't been giving yourself time to sleep and exercise and so on as you you need, then you're not going to be able to perform how you want to perform in that other area anyway. So even if you don't want to spend your time doing it, it's a bit of a necessary, uh, necessary thing. Can't, you can't pour from an empty cup as well. I keep coming out with all these <laughs> <laughs> proverbs, well, sound bites. They, great content. They all kind of stick with me a bit. <laughs> yeah, it's good. I was <laughs> I was on a, a TV program uh, when I was a student called take on the takeaway on bbc <laughs> car crash and uh, at one point i came out with um, a similar metaphor well not no, not not to, to downplay yours um, that knowledge is knowing that a tomato is a fruit and wisdom's not knowing not to put it in a fruit salad um <laughs> and that's that has stuck with that's stuck with me mates bring it up all the time so I like that. when's the next triathlon then how's the training going yeah I did, I did my first one in august this year so i sort of at the start of the year I just moved into what three words and I was like, right, I've got a bit more time now doing the other stuff, but um, maybe I should start prioritizing my health and fitness a bit more. So I ran a half marathon in May and I decided that I didn't really like running enough to only be running. I kind of preferred, so I was like, oh, what about this idea of triathlon? Like I already surf, so swimming should hopefully come to me and I know I love the water. I'm already cycling to work all the time, pick it up. 
Um, and I decided to do it a bit late. I hadn't given myself enough time to really prepare for it. I did it. Um, I did a London one in the middle of August, and and it went well. And I I find I enjoyed it a lot more. But it's kind of head down over winter and try and do some more at the start of um sort of spring next year when I know a bit more about it. As opposed to people are asking me, "What's your transition plan?" And think I didn't really know what they were talking about. It's just going <laughs> yeah. to get changed and get on my bike. But I had <laughs> yeah. bigger problems at that point than the, how yeah. long I'm spending getting changed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nice. Um, all right. Well, good luck. Good luck with it when it comes around. Thank you for chatting with me today. Really, really enjoyed that. Thanks, Scott. And great to hear more about about Yaba. If people wanted to to follow Yaba or to to learn more about the product, how do they do that? Yeah, so we, we've got a website, yababeer.co.uk. Um, we're on Instagram, yababeer, or they could just drop me an email. I'm on Johnny at yababeer.co.uk. Cheers, Johnny. Great chatting to you today. That was that was Johnny Parker. What a cool guy. Legal counsel at What Three Words and co-founder of Challenger beer brand Yaba. Some great lessons in there for lawyers of all levels, but really applicable to those early in your legal career um, and those exploring moves into the profession. Some some great sound bites in his first couple of lessons. I'm always really excited also to hear about people that are applying what they've learned in law and applying that in the context of their business pursuits outside of law. So it was really fascinating to hear his insights into his journey in founding and uh, running Yabba as well. As any good host would, as you might expect, um, I did my research coming into this episode recording and uh, I can definitely vouch that Yabba beer is absolutely delicious in all quantities, all shapes and sizes. So head over there and support a fellow lawyer and get behind the brand. Now, if you've enjoyed that conversation with Johnny, then why not check out some of the earlier episodes from Seasons Gone By? In Series 3, I was joined by Richard Maybe, who is CEO of contract automation platform Duro. And he spoke about the need to keep it simple whilst also having a love for detail. So check out that episode. You can search for that episode on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and all other great listening platforms or head over to herriotbrown.com forward slash podcast. And remember, whilst you're there, be a good consumer and hit the subscribe button so you don't miss out on future episodes. And while you're at it, why not leave us a star rating? Five stars, please. And review, which really helps us out. If you've got any feedback or you'd like to appear on the podcast or suggest someone who I could chat with, then please drop me a line, scott at herriotbrown.com. I'm all ears. Or come and connect with me or Harriet Brown on LinkedIn. See you next time.